Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Folks, what the hell is going on with the vote count in Pennsylvania? No, seriously, there are representative lawmakers from the Republican Party in Pennsylvania who put out a press release yesterday. It's just stunning, claiming that there is some discrepancy in the number of people who voted and the actual vote count. That sounds like kind of a big deal to me, no? Kind of a little bit of a big deal. And of course, the fact checkers, you know, fact checkers who are really far left Soviet style opinion makers for liberals, full time activists, chimed in and checked again an irrelevant component of what I just told you to make you believe what I told you isn't an issue. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We're going to get to that in the show today. Also more on cancel culture and the weaponization of language. I got a loaded show today. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Ladies and gentlemen, protect your online activity from prying eyeballs today. Get a VPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Don't wait. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Fine, sir. <clears throat> Man, me. I'm sure uh, ready to go. So let's go. No, thank you. As <laughs> okay. you know, today's going to be a busy day. Today's yeah. chemo day. So if tomorrow the show, you know, if we have the chemo hiccups, mm-hmm. just my last one, fingers crossed. <laughs> so uh, yeah, hopefully we will avoid right. the chemo hiccups. Uh, yes, but uh, you know how that works. I can't control that, folks. All right. As you know, you hear from them every day at the beginning of the show. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? Of course, course it does not. That that should scare you. What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, gets to track everything you do on your smartphone, huh? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts. And that's why I use ExpressVPN right here. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. It encrypts 100% of your internet data, keeps you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. What a deal. ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. We love most about it, how easy it is to use. You know, I'm not that tech savvy. You just download the app on your phone, your computer, Also, tap one button, you're protected. Stop handing over your personal data to big tech monopoly. It mines your activity and sells sells your information. Protect yourself today with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Bongino. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino and get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino now to learn more. All right, Joe, let's go. So these Republican lawmakers in Texas, excuse me, Pennsylvania, not Texas, put out a press release yesterday with some pretty astonishing data. Is it evidence of voter fraud? I don't know. Does it look pretty suspicious? It does. Do you think in independent media, (laughs) independent media, (laughs) we're talking about the media in the United States here. (laughs) If we had an independent media, you think they'd be curious. But showing you again, how just like we discussed yesterday with, with the, the fact checkers, their real role is to be the problem of the Soviets and the media. What do they do when they want to discredit something that's worthy of attention, like the Joe Biden picture of him with a Ku Klux Klan member, Robert Byrd, campaigning for him? When they want to discredit it, even though the picture is not in dispute, what do they do? They focus on an irrelevant component of the picture and they debunk air quotes the picture like the Klan photo where they said, no, no. Uh, Joe Biden was not in a picture with a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. It was an exalted cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, okay. No problem then, folks. No problem. It's happening again. Here's what I mean. So this press release was issued yesterday by a representative, uh, Russ Diamond from Pennsylvania. This is pretty stunning stuff. Pennsylvania lawmakers, quote, the numbers don't add up. Certification of the presidential results was premature and in error. Listen to this. This is from Russ Diamonds again, December 28, 2020. A comparison of official county election results to the total number of voters who voted on November 3rd, 2020, as recorded by the Pennsylvania Department of State, shows that, listen up, listen here, this is interesting, that 6,962,607 total ballots were reported as being cast. Got it, folks? So 6.9 million total ballots were cast as the Pennsylvania Department of State shows. Everybody tracking? 
Yeah. While the Department of State shore system records indicate that only 6,760,230 total voters actually voted. Among the 6.9 million total ballots cast and 6.9 million total votes were counted in the presidential race, including all three candidates on the ballot, writing candidates. So hold, keep this up one second. So this can't possibly be. Is it an error? Is it a statistical blemish? Hmm. Is it an anomaly? What happened? So according to the Pennsylvania Department of State, 6.9 million roughly total ballots were cast. But their sure system records only 6.7 million voters actually voted. Hmm. <sighs> so six, according to the Department of State, listen, could it be a mistake? Unlike the Pravda media, where they wake up every morning and they salute the Soviet Union national anthem. I'm actually open to facts. Is it a mistake? Could be. I'd love to hear. I haven't heard anyone refuting this. But according to the Pennsylvania legislators, by the way, where was this information before? Was it a late tally? Could be. What, why didn't we hear about this before? Only 6.7 million people. Joe, hold on. Follow me here, buddy. Yeah, I need you, you as you and Paula, you too. This <laughs> yeah, math is very right. complicated, okay? As, yeah, okay? as two audience ombudsmen, because I want to make sure we don't lose the liberals, because as I said last night, filling in for Hannity, to, liberalism is the religion of the stupid. Only 6.7 million people voted in Pennsylvania, according to their own records. Right, right, Yet right. Yet 6.9 million votes were counted. Huh? Joe, can you get a pen? Uh, no. Yeah, I got one here. Six. Hold on a second, folks. Six point right. nine. Uh -huh. Six point seven counted. I'm just double checking my. Mind. Yeah, what the? Six point seven voted. Now listen. Yeah, I was watching yeah, Apollo yeah. thirteen, one of my favorite movies this weekend, right, and when right. they lost the computer system in the in the support module, and they had to transfer it over to the LEM. They had to do hand calculations and they were very complicated. So they had three or four people check the calculations to make sure they didn't bounce off the atmosphere. These are complicated calculations, Joe. So yeah, I'm going to yeah, give okay. you some numbers. And Paula, All Joe, right. if you could check 6.9 million votes counted. 6.7 6, million people voted. 6.7. Joe, um, check yeah. me if I'm wrong here. That mm -hmm. seems to indicate to me that about 200,000 people's votes were counted that didn't actually vote. Joe, is that is my math correct? Yeah, you're pretty much right. On. Very good. Dude. Yeah, Paula, you're right there, bro. Paula, yeah. much smarter than Joe and me. Paula, I think yeah. we both agree, Joe. Paula's IQ is like 20 <laughs> points higher than both me and Joe combined. But Paula, am I, am I correct about 200? Wait, Paula's you doing it on the computer, just to be sure. Uh, that seems to be correct. <laughs> that seems to be correct. My math is, I really did the math. I'm not even kidding. It's right here in the back of my book, just to be sure. So 200,000 people, according to these lawmakers, votes were counted who didn't vote. Weird. <laughs> Dude, crazy, crazy <laughs> pills everywhere. I don't, I don't get it. Can I? <laughs> we're like, <laughs> I was telling Paul, I said, you know, totally unrelated. I need that shirt from the movie Elf. Remember the Norwal scene? Hey, buddy, hope you find your dad. I, hey, Pennsylvania, I hope you find the votes. Well, <laughs> now, is this a mistake? It could be a mistake. Again, unlike the so unlike the Soviet media, I'm actually interested in the truth. Could be an honest mistake. But sounds like kind of a big deal that maybe we should be looking into how 200,000 people's votes were counted who didn't vote. Now, hmm, our media, which is a hilarious stain on the ass of humankind, that's what our media is because they're an embarrassing joke. This is what they choose to focus on. Now, to give you some background on before I put this tweet up, this is a tweet by the ever hilarious Peter Baker at the New York Times. Um, just a total uh, clown. Uh, this is supposed to be a member of the media. President Trump tweeted this out yesterday, but he made a mistake. He implied in his tweet that more people voted than voters who were registered in Pennsylvania. That's not accurate. OK, here's the tweet by Baker. There are uh, just so you have the numbers. There are roughly nine million people registered to vote in Pennsylvania, as Baker puts in his tweet. And six point nine million votes were cast in Pennsylvania. 
So President Trump's tweet was inaccurate, but it was a, it was an obvious mistake if you just read the Pennsylvania legislature legislators what they put in there. Six point nine million votes were counted, yet only six point seven million people voted. So Baker, instead of looking into that, here's what he tweets at the New York Times. Again, this is look, look shiny red ball. This is supposed to be journalism. He puts Trump's Trump's tweet up. Excuse me. He says Trump's tweet said in Pennsylvania there were two hundred five thousand more votes than were voters. This alone flips the state to President Trump. Baker, instead of looking into that, puts belief that registered voters in Pennsylvania, 9 million votes cast in Pennsylvania, 6.9 million. Ladies and gentlemen, it was an obvious mistake by President Trump. He corrected it this morning. Right. You would think the media would say, my gosh, that sounds really weird that 200,000 more votes were counted than people who voted. No, no, no. That's not the media's job. Baker's initial response and others, rather than looking into the story, I don't know if he's done it subsequently, but looking into the story is to tweet a shot to try to wreck President Trump, R-E-K-T. That's what they want to do. Instead of doing what we're doing, covering this honestly, acknowledging it could be an honest mistake, it may not be. Acknowledging both sides, which we always do, and we've done from the beginning in this election, that's what's called reporting. Baker doesn't seem interested in that. He seems interested in attacking President Trump with a fake fact check and ignoring the reality of what these Pennsylvania lawmakers had to say. Folks, if anyone has an explanation for this, I'm open to it. The only thing I can possibly think of if there was an innocent explanation is that the county data and the state data don't marry up through this sure system. Maybe there was some input error. I don't know. But the fact that 6.9 million votes were counted, yet only 6.7 million people showed up to vote. Seems like it would be worth looking into. Of course, we have to clean up the mess left by the media at all times. It's really disgusting. All right. I will follow up on that story if I get to the bottom of it, in if innocent explanation or not. Obviously, if not, that's going to be a really big deal. But we should have answers on this, hopefully today. Huge story. On a lighter note, before I move on to the cancel culture stories, which have been dominating the media landscape over the last few days after that, awful story we covered yesterday about this young lady who made a video on TikTok. You dropped a racial slur while, while uh, copying a rap song. And it was now life has been ruined by this other buffoon. Cancel culture stories, but everywhere. But I want to get deeper into that today because yesterday's show did really well and people seem really interested about what the deeper component of why it is what it is. But before I get to that, I want to get to this just tweet on kind of a Hilarious note, again, not to double down on the pathetic media. We all know how grotesque um, they are, the, you know, the Soviet worshipers in our media, the Pravda. Uh, but I saw this uh, on a Twitter this morning. This is Newsweek's Waka reporter, uh, uh, the, uh, not Waka, the uh, White House press pool reporter. Actually, that's the White House Communication Agency. Dropping back into old security mode, the White House press pool. Here's one of their members, um, Elizabeth Crisp, who tweeted this morning, cry me an ocean, Liz. Cry, not a river, cry me an ocean. She says, oh my gosh, it's nearly 2 a.m. And Trump is tweeting and retweeting about Congress. White House pool reporters stationed with him have a call time in less than six hours. Often early morning call time indicates golf plans. Oh, cry, cry me the Pacific Ocean, Liz Crisp. She's so upset. She has one of the greatest jobs in the media. To be a member of the press pool. Now, in my prior line of work, as you well know, I dealt with the press pool every day. It's this group of maybe 12 to 20-something reporters from all the reporters all over the country. These are the ones selected by their respective journalistic entities to represent the press that day. And they get what's called a pool feed, where they feed out from the pool to all the agencies. And what do they do there? They do it because you don't want 60,000 members of the press following the president around every day in a motorcade seven miles long. So the press in general picks a pool that rotates each day and members from AP, Reuters, Fox, CNN, they all rotate in and out and have members. Some have permanent seats, some don't. 
So Newsweek, she has this great job and she's whining because all the call time is early and President Trump is tweeting late at night. Cry me an ocean. How do you do it? How do you hack it? I just don't know. You know, our military people overseas wake up at 6 a.m. to go kill the bad guys and stuff. But gosh, you had to get up. Now, what happens with the call time? Just a little inside baseball. If the president's going to go golfing in the morning and the motorcade's going to leave at seven o'clock in the morning, the press has to get up earlier than that for the call time because they have to have their equipment swept before they can get in the motorcade. So your cameras, your microphones, all of that stuff to make sure it doesn't have any explosives in it or weapons, you have to bring it down to, it's not like inside baseball secrets, folks. We show the press it every day. You go down to like a ballroom in the hotel, wherever it is, there's EOD dogs, explosives, detection dogs, and there's our guys. We look, we look at the equipment, make sure there's no, then an agent stays with them. Everything's secure. You get to go into motorcade. Really sorry you had to get up at 6 a.m. By the way, hat tip to the secret service agents, military guys, and even the EOD dogs who have to get up even earlier than 6 a.m. to prepare for the sweep. Cry us all a river, Liz Crisp. Sorry. Do your job. Do your job. And by do your job, I mean, maybe look into this Pennsylvania story. Debunk it if it's not real and there's a mistake. I'd love to hear it. Waiting to hear from you, Liz. I'm sure we'll hear nothing from you about this. Maybe send it to me uh, on email. Email's on the website. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. They won't. All right. Moving on. I saw a really wonderful story. By Do you all, have you ever seen Victor Davis Hanson? on cable news, Fox or Newsmax or elsewhere. If you haven't, I interviewed him once when I used to guest host on radio at WMAL in Washington, D.C. And uh, this is one of the most brilliant thinkers we have out there right now. If you are missing the works and the musings of Victor Davis Hanson, then uh, I feel for you. Look him up. He, I think this is his last piece at National Review, but ladies and gentlemen, it is a good one in light of what's going on. We covered yesterday in a block uh, the, the, this growing threat of cancel culture in our society and what it's really about. And we covered two stories, the canceling of now classics and literature, how there are these liberal activist Soviet uh, school districts who are now trying to wipe clean from history Homer's Odyssey, the Scarlet Letter by Hawthorne, all these classic works of literature, because- I mean, I don't even know what it's because of some stupid woke reason that I don't practice wokeism. So it's just dumb, kind of like why they canceled Mark Twain for historical use of the N-word in the books. Uh, folks, how are we going to learn about what happened in history? Again, as I said yesterday, if we're constantly trying to put lipstick on it and sanitize it. I never got that. I don't understand the illogic of the left. I confronted Daryl Parks about it, filling in for Hannity last night, who is a man of the left. How it doesn't make sense. How we're simultaneously sanitizing history by exposing it. Let's expose, uh, you know, the the uh, the failings of the Scarlet Letter book, and then let, let's expose it for everyone to see, and then delete it. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. But the left's craving for cancel culture is a power movement. It's not based in logical reason. The rules don't make sense. Think about it. This 15-year-old girl, girl who records a video. And drops the uh, the N word in it while by memeing a rap song, she's to be canceled for life, and the New York Times almost celebrates it. But Joe Biden again, who marches at a rally with a known Ku Klux Klan member, he's allowed to apologize for it, but the girl isn't. Of course, that's not based in reason or logic. It's the definition of insanity. But because Joe Biden is a man of the left, everything's A-OK. Well, Victor Davis Hanson has a piece about this. It's really good. It'll be in my newsletter, Bongino.com slash newsletter, also known as the show notes. Please subscribe today. We picked the best articles out there for you. And this one's worth your time. Because of the, it's, it's a little lengthy, but it is worth it. I covered just a few highlights from it. The piece is called A Guide to Woke Speak by the great Victor Davis Hanson. What he's trying to get at in the core of the piece is something you absolutely have to understand, how the weaponization of our language by the left is used for a very specific tactical purpose. You'll never know how to defeat the left if you don't understand their tactics. And their battle tactics around language and wokeism are this. They use language as a tactical weapon 
to create millions of new public enemies that they'll def- enemies, air quotes, that they're going to defend you against. The left can't win on their ideas because their ideas are devoid of logic. Give us your money. We can spend it better than you. That doesn't make any sense. Turn over your health care to us. We know more about your health care than you do. Huh? How the hell do you know that? That's ridiculous. School choice. We know better about the school your kids should go to than you do as parents. That's idiocy. So the left understands, and you need to understand the left, that their ideas are dumb and make no sense. So the only way to get you to vote for them and support their quest for power is to make you believe that they are protecting you against some unknown enemy that they're going to create. Some non-existent enemy they're going to create. So in order to create an enemy, they have to fabricate the enemy. They didn't have to do that during the time of slavery and civil rights and Jim Crow. By the way, that was largely a Republican fight. The Democrats were the, were the, were the Dixiecrats, but that's a whole different. But having said that, they didn't have, that enemy was there. Slavery and Jim Crow were real, persistent, sadly, evils in our society. Didn't have to be created. And racism unquestionably still exists. Only an idiot would say otherwise. The question isn't, doesn't race, does racism exist or not? The answer is obvious. Of course it does. The question is, is it a systemic problem that requires a systemic response? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is not supported by any data. So they have to create an enemy. Getting back to my initial point, how do you create the enemy? By constantly changing the language. And anybody who opposes to changing the language is that enemy you're about to create and is to be combated at any, be fought against at any given moment. And the left's telling you they're their ally in the fight. They do it every time. But you know what? I have to give this example again. I'm sorry. I know my regular listeners have heard it a thousand times. But give it, when I used to be on the radio, I was on the same radio station, WMAL one time. And that morning, before I went on hosting the morning show, there was a story that came out that suggested that the activist lobby was, was suggesting now that the use of the word either homosexual or gay, and I forget which one, showing you how much, I don't even remember that. But one of the use of one of those words was now gonna now gonna be considered homophobic. Notice the now. You can't refer to people who are either gay as homosexual or homosexual as gay. And I forget the order it was in, but one of those words was randomly declared on that day to be homophobic. Now, if you didn't get the memo and you said that on the radio, you were now the new enemy. Oh my gosh, look, that's homophobic. He said the word gay. That, I'm not kidding. I remember it. I said, we talked about it on the radio that day, how this is how the left weaponizes language. They create new words and create new categories surrounding words. Here's Victor's uh, uh, first example in this story about the weaponizing of language and wokeism to create new public enemies. And it's a good one. Folks, here's the new buzz term, anti-racism. So now, because they're having, leave this up for a second, how they, they're having such a tough time in the left finding enough racists to tell minority voters they're going to protect them against because it's not the systemic problem they want you to believe it is. Thankfully, it's an isolated abnormality and a real serious problem, but in isolation, it's not systemic as they want you to believe. So now they had to change the term to anti-racism. And Victor Hansen says, anti-racism is a useful salvo for students, teachers, administrators, public employees, political appointees, and media personnel to use uh, uh, preemptively to declare you from the preemptively to declare from the start, sorry, that you're working for anti-racism. And in here, this is important. And then anyone who disagrees with you, therefore must be racist or antithetically pro-racism. Oddly, such woke speak anti-adjectives denote opposition to something that no one, no one claims to be for. For each proclaimed anti-racist, anti-imperialist, or anti-colonialist, colonialist, there's almost no one who wishes to be a racist or a colonialist or an imperialist. Listen to this last sentence. These villains mostly come to life only through the use of their anti-adjectives. Bingo, ding, ding. I was tempted to hit the Kenny Bell that time. You can even see the Kenny Bell popping in the photo there. You see that? These villains are created. They're created out of thin air. When you can't find enough racists, thankfully, 
to make the case that society is systemically racist. Everyone hates you if you're a minority. And we as liberals, because our policies suck, you should vote for us because we're going to protect you against the horde of racists out there when you can't find enough examples to make your case. What do you do? You just create them. So the new buzz term on the left is anti-racism. And if you are not, Joe, an active anti-racist, you are in fact a racist. So if you're just living your life, shame on you, Armacost, treating people who are black and Hispanic and Asian and people from different cultures and countries, if you're just treating them normally, Joe, like a normal person would, shame on you, you're a racist, because Joe, you're not an (laughs) anti-racist now. You are not actively going out and promoting anti-racism. You're doing this shameful, shameful, dreaded air quotes, shameful thing. Like treating people like people. Oh my gosh, you can't have that. I hear you, brother. <laughs> what, what did Jim Comey say? <laughs> Lordy, you can't do that. If you're not an active anti-racist, you are in fact a racist. You yeah. see how they create enemies? Lickety split overnight? Mm-hmm. They do this all the time. It is the biggest fraud of our time. And God forbid you speak out against this. You are clearly a racist because as Victor Davis Hanson says, if you're not an anti-racist, you're clearly a pro-racist by default. Creating a magical new category of hundreds of millions of racists in the United States that the liberals are going to protect you against, ladies and gentlemen, when are people on the left who've been suckered by this going to savvy up? Now, he has legions of examples in his piece. It's very long. I'm just going to get to a few more because they're important. It's critical you understand their game and the weaponization of words, language, phrases, and how they use it to combat. So now you know why they switched from we're fighting racism to now we're the anti-racist. Again, because if you're against them, you're pro-racist. And to fight racists, Joe, you have to go find racists. That's right. And they can't. Not in mass, so they have to create them. Here's another one. When they can't find examples, the left, of actual discrimination out there, they had to change it to disparate impact. So let me give you a quick example, a topic that has been near and dear to my heart. The AFFH, this liberal program to put low-income housing in middle-class neighborhoods. Why? Not because they have any evidence that minorities have been discriminated against in middle class. That's illegal right now. You cannot discriminate against someone to buy or sell a home based on their race. That's already illegal. You will win that lawsuit hands down if you can prove it. So because they can't find enough examples of this, of black, Hispanic, or minority families being turned away from living in middle class neighborhoods, what do they use now? From the Victor Davis Hanson piece, disparate impact. What's disparate impact? Weaponization of the language again. Round two, ding, ding. Disparate impact. This word is becoming anachronistic. Call it woke spoke, if you will. In ancient labor law usage, it often accompanied the now equally calcified term disproportional representation. But in 21st century American woke speak, it is no longer necessarily unfair, illegal, or unethical that some racial, gender, or ethnic group are, quote, overrepresented in certain coveted admissions and hiring. Notice, let me, let me translate that for you. So, because they can't prove cases in mass of blacks or Hispanics being discriminated against in housing, discriminated against in education, what do they do? They use overrepresentation figures. Follow me here, Armacost. So they'll go to a neighborhood, and because they don't like the racial composition of that neighborhood, they'll say, Well, clearly there was some racism here. Blacks or Hispanics mm-hmm. were discriminated against in buying housing in this neighborhood. What's the problem? They go, they search all the lawsuits in that town, and what can't they find? actual lawsuits or evidence of discrimination. A big problem. Because Joe, what did I tell you in the beginning? You have to create new enemies. 
It'd be, the enemies would be obvious. Listen, if you have people in your neighborhood discriminating against Hispanic or black or minority groups, they're really, I can't curse on the air because we're jerks. Let's just, that's just bad. Okay. It's just a bad thing to do. You're ethically and morally in a vacuum of stupidity. Every, we all agree, right? Like everybody gets that. And yeah. if that's proven that you were discriminated against, you have legal avenues, but they can't prove it. So what do they say? In order to create a new racial, I mean, look at that neighborhood of middle-class people. Whites are overrepresented, are overrepresented in that neighborhood. They say the impact was disparate. It was a disparate impact just based on the representation of white residents of that middle-class neighborhood. Do you have any evidence of that? No, no, no. We're just basing it on a proportion of the population. If the proportion of the population in that area is 52% white, 10% black, and 15% Hispanic, and the residents are 60% white, 8% black, and 6% Hispanic, that is definitely evidence of actual discrimination. Is it really? Because we don't have any actual lawsuits for discrimination or complaints of discrimination. No, no, it, it, it's impacted minority groups in a disparate fashion. How? No one's complained about it. How is that? But notice what Victor Davis Hansen throws in in the end, which is absolutely brilliant, how nobody uses that same formula when it comes to athletics or college admissions or anything else. It's kind of weird, Joe, right? Huh, yeah. How you go to a neighborhood, you have yeah. zero evidence of discrimination at all, and you say it's overrepresented by whites, but when it comes to athletics that are overrepresented, over air quotes, by people who happen to be black, mm -hmm. why does no one claim discrimination? The NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, what, what, why? When people go to the university, uh, uh, these, the university system and these woke universities, some of which are actively discriminating against Asian Americans, because as a cohort, they perform exceptionally well on some tests measured as a cohort. Why does nobody why does nobody bring that up then that Asian Americans are underrepresented? Because they are relative to their collective scores on standardized tests. Why does nobody bring that up? Because it's not a serious argument. You want me to debunk it right now for you? I will use the great legendary Thomas Sowell. Sorry, I don't have a video for this one. I'm just going to have to summarize what he said. In his he had his book about uh, uh, his, one of his economics books I just read. It was great. All his books are great. Everyone. But when you pick a random assortment of people and you can't find evidence of discrimination, but then you just use the random assortment as evidence of discrimination you can't find, you leave out the fact, Joe, this is bold. Get ready for it. Mm -hmm. That people don't assort or make life decisions, assort themselves randomly. In other words, if you pick a neighborhood, some random neighborhood, and you say, oh, it's overrepresented by white folks, you're leaving out the fact that that's not some random collection of people. They weren't picked randomly out of the phone book and told to move to the neighborhood. Everyone had different motivations. Right. Why did I move there? Why did someone else move there? Why did my next door neighbor in my old neighborhood who was Cuban move there? Who knows? I never asked them. People don't distribute themselves randomly. They don't distribute themselves randomly in the NFL. People who get in the NFL are not selected randomly out of the phone book, folks. They're selected based on their talents to play a position. Oh my gosh, what a crazy idea. People who find themselves in college disproportionately uh, black and Hispanic in higher numbers overrepresented in some colleges are not there randomly. They're there because they applied and the college applied some evaluation to get those students into the college. It's not random. So picking a random sample of people who aren't there randomly is the definition of stupid. But liberals fall for it because liberalism is the religion of the stupid. I've got two more examples of the weaponization of language because this is an argument that's going to grow, folks. I'm telling you, you and your kids are only moments away. 
moments away from a cancellation. God forbid you get a public profile. They have called through every single thing in my life. And I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to come knocking at your door soon. I hope it doesn't, but it's dangerous stuff. I got two more examples coming up. Let me get to my second sponsor. I want to welcome on our good friends at PetSmart. You all know we just took in Lucy. We love Lucy. She is our new dog, our golden doodle. Um, she's really been an unbelievable addition to us. It's like having an, another kid. We love her to death. There is, you got a picture up? Oh, look at that. Paula was nice enough to, there's Luce. Look at her. Let me see that picture. There's the, she's so adorable. She's sitting, I used to put her in the uh, little kennel box there for the show, but she's so good. She, you don't even hear a bark, right? We love that. I mean, it really has helped manage the, the stress in our lives lately, having Lucy around. We love her to death. Every morning she comes out. I'm sorry to go on about Lucy, but you know how it is. These animals, they're so great. They see, it looks like they've seen you for the first time every morning. She loves belly scratches. From the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has been an essential retailer, making sure you can get everything the pet you love needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations. And they lead the pack with safe and easy ways to shop. At PetSmart, the health and safety of employees, pet parents, and pets are what uh, is most important. Stay clean and disinfect their stores according to CDC recommendations. Face coverings or masks are required for employees and pet parents. Floor decals, signage, and new protocols reinforce social distancing requirements. Plexiglass shields are in place at registers, as well as salon and pet hotel uh, lobbies. Stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pickup, and contactless payment. And now PetSmart offers free, that's free same-day delivery, powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything the pet you love needs. Right to your door, right when you need it. PetSmart's associates really love pets, and caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's made it safe and easy for you to do, uh, you to care for your pet too, online or in stores. If you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online at PetSmart.com or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery. Powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door, right when you need it. Check out PetSmart.com for more details. Thanks, PetSmart, for uh, sponsoring the show. We appreciate it. All right, I want to get back to this uh, Victor Davis Hanson piece. Two more things. And I, I also, I'm going <laughs> to, don't go anywhere. Have you seen the hilarious Baldwin story? Hilarious Baldwin. Her name's, her name's <laughs> Hilaria. Actually, her name's not even Hilaria. It's Hillary. Hillary, Hilaria, Hilarious. Do not go anywhere. I, if you haven't heard it yet, I rarely cover stuff like this. Joe, stop even laugh. Because Joe, oh, it ties right into this. It's it, it, hilarious, Baldwin. All right, let's finish up on a serious note from the Victor Davis Hanson piece. Here's two more weaponization of the language, again, to create new public enemies that the left is going to help you fight against, allegedly. Uh, from the Victor Davis Hanson piece, here's a new word about cultural appropriation. Here are the rules, folks. New rules. This is a new word. For non-African-Americans, dreadlocks or playing jazz are cultural appropriations. Yet dyeing darker hair blonde is not. A black opera soprano is hardly a cultural appropriationist. Wearing a poncho, if one is a non-Mexican-American citizen, is cultural theft, folks. A Mexican-American citizen wearing a tuxedo, of course it isn't. Here's the kicker. How do we know when we get to cultural appropriation, folks? Back to the piece. Only a trained cultural appropriationist, Joe, can determine such felonies through a variety of benchmarks. Usually the crime of cultural appropriation is defined as appropriation by a victimizing majority from a victimized minority. Acceptable appropriation is a victimized minority appropriating from a victimizing majority. If Paul is like, what the hell is going on? A secondary exogenesis yeah. would add that only the theft of the valuable culture of the minority is a felony, while the occasional use of the dross of the majority is not. Folks, if you're struggling to, like, what uh, yeah, the yeah. Hades is this? So's everyone else. Yes. What did I tell you? This is not about logic. Cancel culture and the left's weaponization of the language to create new enemies they're allegedly going to help you fight against because they don't exist is about power because they're losers. They don't have power through economic success or getting elected to office and winning nationally, winning people's hearts and minds. 
So what do they do? They use cancel cultures. It's not logical. How do we know that? Because he just pointed this out. So just to be clear, if you wear a poncho and you're not Mexican-American, you are guilty by, and who says this, Joe? The trained cultural appropriationists. Appropriate. I don't know. Is that even a thing? Jeez, Apparently it is. Weesh. That's Is that not power? Listen, listen, I covered this yesterday. Clearly the trained cultural appropriationist couldn't get a real job. An accountant, a lawyer, a police officer, a military officer, an enlisted person. He couldn't get a real job, create a company, create a tech platform, because they don't have any real talents. So they will never obtain power and authority through merit and a meritocracy because they're losers. So they find themselves obtaining power and declaring themselves cultural appropriationists, whether de facto or de jure. And now they have power. They find a picture of Joe Armacost when he was playing with his rock band in the oh. 60s and 70s. They find Joe in a poncho. Oh my gosh, he better be canceled from the Dan Bongino show. He clearly appropriated Mexican culture. And you're like, wait, what? But as Victor Davis Hanson points out, if you happen to be Mexican-American or Mexican and you wear a tuxedo, that's not cultural appropriation. Those are, are those rules, because those rules don't seem to make sense. If you're taking something from someone's culture and that's a moral sin, then how is it not taking from other people's culture because they're not serious rules. They're power plays by losers who only get power through weaponization of language, identity politics, and cancel culture. They can't get power through traditional means because they're losers. You want to see another group of people who've unbelievably not only come into power, but are running companies these days. What are you talking about? The CEO, the COO, the CFO? No, no, I'm not talking about any of that. These are the people who really run companies, the diversity czars. From Victor Davis, and last, last part from this piece. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. This triad is almost always used in corporate, professional, and academic administrative titles, such as in the dean, director, or provost, Joe, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. These are valuable positions, folks known more commonly by their familiar abbreviated sobriquets of diversity czars. These are such coveted billets that they're usually immune from budget cuts and economic belt tightening. Fire the CEO, but don't you dare get rid of the diversity czar. Often such newly created czar positions are subsidized in times of protests and financial duress by increasing the reliance on exploited part-time or low-paid workers by either cutting or freezing their hours, benefits, or salaries. <laughs> So the log logic, dreaded air quotes, the logic of the left, which is totally illogical, is this. Let's pay six and sometimes seven figures to a diversity czar in our company, immune from any budget cuts, while we fire the people who are actually doing the work at the lower end of the income scale while claiming to fight and champion for lower income folks and minority folks. And to the left, this makes perfect sense. Pay seven and six high six figures to your diversity czar while firing the people actually doing the work who aren't making a tenth or a hundredth of that. To Boom. the left, this makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. They are the last people to go. And shame on the cowards in corporate America doing this too. Now, I had to lead up with that expose on cancel culture using Victor's piece. Because it explains perfectly, and I avoid these stories like the plague because you've seen so much of it, and I really don't like the pile-on. I don't. People do stupid stuff. A lot of people are just dumb. I mean, a lot of, and most of those people happen to be liberals. The overwhelming majority of dumb people are, in fact, liberal because to be a liberal requires you to lose logic and reason and your ability to think. Um, so by nature, tautologically, only stupid people would be liberals. So I don't like to pile on, but this story, I'm sorry, was just too good to pass up. Even Paul Love. Look at the New York Post. So, you know, the actor, Alec Baldwin, you know, the guy who's always yelling at people and stuff. I mean, listen, I got a bad temper too, so who am I to say? But Alec's got, he's beat me. I've got like four or five 
uh, total temper tantrums. He's got like 22. So Alec Baldwin, um, the infamous actor, is married to uh, a, a woman by the name of um, <laughs> Hilaria Baldwin. Why am I laughing? Because that's not actually her name. Look at this New York Post article. Be on my newsletter today, Bongino.com slash newsletter. It's not just her name. Hilaria Baldwin's entire life is a fake by Maureen Callahan at the New York Post. So what's the deal with this? By the way, quick story about Alec Baldwin. This is not a very bright guy. I sat next to him once when I was in my prior line of work doing a detail for Hillary Clinton at the U.S. Open, at the U.S. Open tennis tour. I'm, I'm sitting there watching Hillary Clinton. He sits right next to me. It's in a photo that was in the Newsday. And he looks at my watch and he says, hey, is that a Monando? What the hell's a Monando? You mean a Movado? It was like a cheap Movado. A Monando? <laughs> Just don't say anything, dude. What's a Monando? Is that even a watch? This is not a Monando. It's a Vincero. And there is no Monando. Mon I don't know what a Monando is. This is not a smart guy, Mr. Monando. But he married a woman who apparently is not that bright either because she's been telling people forever that she has some kind of Spanish culture. She was born in Mallorca, Spain, and her name is Hilaria Baldwin. Hilaria. Now, my wife is actually Colombian, from Colombia, is a native Spanish speaker first. And I promise you, she has never in her life said, Dan, my name is Paolita. She's never said that. Matter of fact, when I first met her, she was very, no, no. Remember this, Paula? She did say, we had this conversation. Because I, I, she said to me, you know, in Colombia, a lot of people say a Paola. And here it's just Paula. It's the Englishized version. But she's right. That's actually what, but that's her name. She never faked it. She never said it's Paolitismio Ito. But she never like faked her name. I, why? Because my wife's a normal person. But apparently, Hilarious Baldwin, who goes by Hilaria, her actual name, Joe. <laughs> Get ready. Hilaria Baldwin's actual name is Hillary Hayward Thomas. Hey. Hillary Hayward Thomas is. <laughs> I, I knew you would. Get, I don't even. I've known you so long. It was just. Here's the button. I knew it. So, Hilaria Baldwin's real name is Hillary Hayward Thomas. She is not, in fact, from Mallorca, Spain. She was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I guess, and went to school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> this is very lovey Thurston Howley from Gilligan's Island for all the young ones. Now, Hillary Hayward Thomas, who goes by Hilarious Baldwin or Hilaria Baldwin, here is a video of she now admits she is, quote, a white girl. Her words, not mine. She admits that in an Instagram video. Oh, thanks. I really don't care. I'm going to explain to you why she did this in a minute in relationship to the Victor Davis Hanson article. So we don't just do what everybody in the news does and just regurgitate. Ah, I've heard the Hillary ball. No, there's a reason behind this, I promise. But we do need a little humor because this story is unintentionally hilarious. Here is a video from what is it? The Today Show or something of mm. Hilaria Hillary Hayward Thomas Baldwin um, on the Today Show or something doing like a cooking segment. Keep in mind, this woman is as, as white as white out on paper. Her name is Hillary Haywood Thomas. Here is her faking a Spanish, ac a Spanish accent and pretending to not know how to say cucumber in English. This is, but this is real, not a joke. Check this out. Very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say Cucumber? Cucumbers. We have, um, red. How, how you say in English? Now, what is she doing? I know, I know the stunt she pulled. Yeah. My friend Andy from growing up, he was all about stunts. That was his thing. Stunts. This kid was all about, I'm not talking about evil Knievel stunts. I'm talking about screwing you over stunts. The kid was all about stunts. Here's the stunt she pulls here. Hilarious Baldwin. If you've ever been around like I have, because my wife is actually Colombian, like 100% Colombian, like all Colombian native Spanish speaker Colombian, born, actually born in Colombia. And there till she was, I always, how long? 11, I always say nine. Let's stay with nine because I've stuck with that story forever and I always mess it up. She says 11, I'm saying nine. Okay, 
My, with my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, learned English later in life. My wife learned it around 11 when she came here. So my wife, if you've ever met her, has no accent in either language. She speaks perfectly fluent, uh, fluent English, perfectly fluent Spanish. She is as bilingual as bilingual gets. 100%. My mother-in-law is not as bilingual. She learned English later in life with a lot of flaws. And when Spanish speakers learn English, like anyone who learns a foreign language, the first thing they do is they don't think in pictures. They translate from the language they know. I speak Spanish terribly, by the way. Off, but I, And so what I do is I translate. So when I see a computer, if I'm thinking in English, I, you say computer, in my head, I have my computer. If I want to translate that to Spanish, the first thing I do is I take the English word and I translate it in my head rather than thinking in pictures. If you know another language, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You translate first before you become fluent. The direct translation of como se dice, which in Spanish is how do you say something? Como se dice and whatever you want to. So that's how it's como se. The literal translation is how you say or how would one say? Como se dice. So when Spanish speakers who learn later in life, like my mother-in-law, want to learn, want to know how to say something in English, sometimes she'll still say, she doesn't do it much anymore. Now she knows it. Instead of how do you say, she says how you say. Hilaria Baldwin must have spent some time around Spanish speakers who learned English and picked that up. And can you play that again? And incorporated it to try to pretend she was a Spanish speaker who had learned English. Play it again. Listen to how she does it. Very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say it? Cucumbers. Cucumbers. We have um, red. How you say in English? She said, it's a stunt. It's a, and a bad one. It gets even worse on the Hilaria Baldwin front. Hilaria Hillary Hayward Thomas Ball. Not only is she trying to pretend she's a Spanish speaker who learned English by replicating common errors from people who learn as a second language. I do it in Spanish all the time. I translate directly. Remember the styrofoma story? <laughs> the word for styrofoam in Spanish is ecopor. That's I'm in Colombia, not with my wife. I'm doing a protection mission with Jenna Bush. And we were on a boat and we needed a cooler for water. So I didn't know how to say it. So I said, ah, you know, the, 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 the case, the, the, the box, what's the box? Caja? Is that right? Caja? I'm like, you know, out of styrofoma, everybody started laughing. Everybody was like, ah, what an idiot, styrofoma. But that's what you do. You just try to find, translate stuff. I didn't know. I just made it up. She's just making this up because she heard it from someone. This gets better. Here's another video of her. She's on a podcast claiming, now notice how she's muted the Spanish accent a little bit. She's kind of lost that. Claiming she moved yeah. here at 19 from Spain. Check this out. I moved here when I was 19 to go to NYU. Ah, and from? from my family lives in Spain. They live in Mallorca. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would make sense. You wouldn't know the pop culture I, of- uh, Well, I know, I, knew no, I know no pop culture anywhere. Now I'm better, but I knew no, no pop culture. So she moved here 19. She had no idea who Alec Baldwin was because she doesn't know pop culture, except for the fact that she's Hillary Haywood Thomas from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I love this line when you meet famous people and you they, they cover it in that New York Post piece, by the way. Apparently our first line to Alec Baldwin, probably in a Spanish accent, was how you say, I don't know who you are. That, her first line <laughs> to Alec Baldwin was, and you do what? She knew exactly who he was. She was trying to pretend to be someone else. Okay, why? I'm sorry, we don't do this stuff often. But this story is hilarious. Even Joe, right before the show, maybe we'll put it tomorrow, <laughs> was showing me some pictures of, the New York Post, of her high school pictures at Cambridge. She's in the pictures. Like, did she think she wasn't going to get caught? So what's going on here? Folks, there's two reasons here people do things like this. One, it's a byproduct of our cancel culture and where we live now and the power of victimization. Remember, the left needs to create new enemies to act like they're the protectors. And if you are the protectors of this new class of enemies, people who use the wrong words, then you are exalted. You gain exalted status. So number one, there's safety in this. My wife joked about it yesterday. She's actually Colombian. She's like, oh, I guess I'm safe then. 
There's safety in it. If you are a minority and a victimized class, even though nobody can prove you've been victimized, some people can. There are cases, obviously, again, of racism. But even if you've suffered no noticeable racism that has impacted you deeply outside of some stupidity in your entire life, by claiming that status falsely, that you have some Spanish heritage, you are then in a protected class. And because the left's theory, which is illogical, that racism requires power. So therefore, if you're in a minority group, you can't be racist, gives you a level of protection. So if you happen to be black or Hispanic and you use words, epithets for white people, you all know what they are. We're not, we don't need to repeat them on the show. You've heard them. Right. There are epithets for white people. That sure. can't be racist because you're a minority group. And according to the left's logic or illogic, you have no power. So that can't be. It's racist by definition. You're judging someone who's white harshly by using an epithet because of their skin color. But no, no. According to the left's perverse definition of racism, if you're a minority, you have no power. So you can never be racist. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the safety in that? You will never be subjected to cancel culture as Hilaria Baldwin because you're a minority from Spain. Can you imagine the safety and security? Oh my gosh. I'm not kidding. You can never be accused of racism in your entire life and be canceled. Wow. That's a lot of power. But what's the second reason she probably did what she did, like others have? Because she's not the only example. Rachel Dolezal, Jessica Krug, the examples are everywhere. There's status in it. Think about how powerful it is to falsely claim you're a member of a minority group. Number one, you're safe your entire life from charges of racism. As long as you're not a conservative, then they'll just throw the rules out. But secondly, you gain exalted status because you are not only a victim as a condition of being a minority, but if you were then an anti-racist out there calling out everyone else's racist, you gain exalted status as a warrior of the cancel culture left. I'm not joking. Why would you not do that? You're safe from any charges of cancel culture while becoming a lieutenant in the cancel culture movement, getting promoted in the cancel culture movement and gaining exalted status. Frankly, folks, I'm stunned more people in Hollywood don't do this. I'm, I'm actually stunned that the whitest white folks out there, Jessica Chastain and others, don't randomly just say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm black or Hispanic. Why wouldn't you? I candidly, this was a stupid decision. Do you blame her? Probably thought she'd never get caught. <sighs> Sad stuff, folks. All right, I got, I got so much more to get to. Uh, you know what? Should we cover this one? Let me see. Do I got something we can cover quick here? I'm sorry to skip ahead. Yeah, one more. Can we do the red state story? Because this other stuff I'm going to have to hold for tomorrow. I got really good stuff for tomorrow. Let me just give you a tease for tomorrow. Cancel culture and coronavirus and science. What? I don't want to explain too much. And I've got, I warned you. I got a story for tomorrow. It's going to cover it today, but it's going to take a while. I warned you, did I not, Joe, for years now about the threat of digital currency taking out paper circulation and negative interest rates? If you're like, what? That sounds really weird. No, no, no. As mm -hmm. a, trust me, you're going to love this story about what China, I warned you. It's in an arc what China's doing right now. Let me get to this red state story last because you know I love uh, attacking the tech tyrants' uh, monopoly on our minds. Finally, there's a country doing something about this tech tyranny. This story will be up in the newsletter today. Again, bongino.com slash newsletter. Check it out. By the great folks at Red State. Mike Miller. Poland just stopped big tech censorship and, it tra and its tracks with a single shot. We could do the same. Poland leading the way here. What happened? Folks, many of you sadly out there, you know, obviously I'm an investor in Parler and Rumble. Disclosure, I have to do. It's just appropriate. But you know, Twitter, Facebook, and others will either fact check or kick you off the platforms if you, God forbid, speak outside of the leftist coded language and cancel culture uh, rules. What if there was a way to sue them every time they took that? Oh my gosh, that would be absolutely crazy. Poland's doing this right now. Check this out. Not a joke. This is from Red State. So uh, the justice minister in Poland, quote, announced the legal initiative earlier this month aimed at enabling Internet users to file complaints 
against the removal of online posts, as well as the creation of a special court for freedom of speech. Here it goes. From this other piece, under its provision, social media services will not be allowed to remove content or block accounts if the content on them does not break Polish law. Wow, genius. In the event of a removal or blockage, a complaint can be sent to the platform, which has 24 hours to consider it. Within 48 hours of the decision, the user will be able to file a petition to the court for return of access. The court will consider complaints within seven days of receipt, and the entire process is to be electronic. Folks, these fines will be substantial to these tech companies in Poland if they take your content down and you didn't violate any laws. Poland, leading the way. Interesting. Folks, I'm an investor in these companies. And I got to tell you, that's an interesting idea. If you're not breaking any laws and these companies discriminate against you by pulling down your posts, because the language is offensive. A lot of language is offensive. People do offensive things all the time, like, like copying a Spanish accent, trying to say, how you say? That's kind of offensive, no? You don't see me calling for hilarious Baldwin to be pulled down from Instagram or anything, do you? Stupidity is a part of life. There's stupid people everywhere. We should learn from them. That's an interesting idea. Read the piece. It's really good. Red State, up in our newsletter today. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe to my video show. We're almost at a million subscribers, unbelievably, on Rumble, rumble.com slash Bongino. I ask that you watch there, not on YouTube. Let's not enrich the tech tyrants. They're trying to hurt us. Rumble.com slash Bongino. The view counts are going crazy over there. And also, please get your morning news from BonginoReport.com. BonginoReport.com. It is your alternative to drudge. Uh, we aggregate the best conservative news stories of the day. We got people working on it 24 hours a day. The traffic's been through the roof. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you all, hopefully without the hiccups. See you all tomorrow. You just heard Dan Bongino.